Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the show. Vassas is here. Aloha. Uh, Rachel's here. Greetings. Joining us later, Dame Sheila Hancock is going to be here. Tell us about Dame Sheila, please, Rachel. I mean, if I was to tell you one thing about Dame Sheila, I would tell you that she has the best title for any book I've ever seen. She has called it simply Old Rage. And it is a fantastic (laughs) book. It says on the front cover here... Huge fun, The Times. As funny as it is moving, The Mail. Glorious, says Paul O'Grady. Required reading, Lorraine Kelly. It is a fantastic book. I absolutely love the blurb. Just at the back, the first sentence. Mm -hmm. Just read it out to me. In 2016, Sheila Hancock sat down to write a book about a serene and fulfilled old age. This is not that book. (laughs) It starts with a letter on behalf of the Queen and Prince Philip that she received uh, approaching her 90th birthday about, you know, if if they offered her a damehood, would she take it? And and that's how it starts. It's brilliant, the book. And it doesn't take a breath. It starts with her diaries in 2016, um, after that initial introduction. And if you think what what has happened between now and then, especially from Sheila's point of view, you know, she was a, a really outspoken Remain campaigner for Brexit. You know, she was on TV on the day of the vote. She was on the BBC. She was both applauded and pilloried for for her appearances. She's been very vocal as far as that's concerned. She was in the war. She remembers a disunited Europe. She said, why would we want to go back to that again? Um, Which is, you know, more incredulous the more you think about the fact that a lot of older people voted for Brexit. And so you start to think, well, she thinks that. Why did they think that? How did that happen? You know, what lines did they fall for or what lines did they believe in? Do they still believe in that? So she had all that going on. Um, She was married to John Thor, of course, an equally uh, famous actor. Um, since uh, there was Brexit and then there was COVID, you know, and then there was her damehood. And then, of course, the Queen who gave her, her, well, Prince William did in the end. But um, then the Queen passed away and she'd met the Queen many times. And she, you know, she's witnessed all the prime ministers. She's met the prime many prime ministers. She's been to Downing Street. She's been to the private. It's all in there. And it's brilliant. It's a brilliant, brilliant book. Also, you know, in it, she defines what a star is. She talks about when Laurence Olivier you know, who was the best at the best of the best on stage, but not on screen. And he appeared in a movie with Marilyn Monroe. And she says, and she knows, Sheila, she says that Marilyn Monroe acted Laurence Olivier off the screen. She also defines um, what, 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 uh, what makes a star, what makes a male star, what makes a female star. And she says um, uh, the, the biggest male stars of the last hundred years of the silver screen, the small screen and the stage have a lot of female about them and the biggest female stars have a lot of masculine about them. And she just has these amazing theories. She's had this house in France for the last 30-odd years, which is her sanctuary that she couldn't go to during COVID. And then 
She wants to learn about getting older, so she can because her sister Billy uh, reaches 90 years old. And and then Sheila has to organise a secret birthday party for her sister Billy, who doesn't want to go to the party and ends up not going to the party. Why? You need to read the book. It's a great book. And she's coming in to talk about it in a moment or two. Um, And I can't wait. News stories. People in Japan who got used to face masks during COVID have signed up for smiling lessons. <laughs> I mean... Come on. Really? I like it as a story. And there'll be more to it in the headline. People in Japan who became so used to wearing face masks during the pandemic are signing up for lessons to teach them how to smile again. But they not smile under their masks. Many people wouldn't be seen in public without a mask, with them becoming near universal after the virus emerged more than three years ago. That's a very interesting question that you just posed there. Because do we smile because we want to smile or do we smile to let other people know that we're happy or finding something funny and if our mouth is covered, do we then tell ourselves there's no need for that and do we stop smiling? I think that's really sad if they wouldn't be smiling I think it's happy. really interesting. But that's yeah. different between you and I. I find things interesting. You I find, find them emotional. Happy or sad. Unless I say something and then you want to know all the details. <laughs> <laughs> Cat upstages Royal Historian mid-BBC interview. Another cat story. Too many cat stories. Too many cat stories for one century. Don't you think so? Love a cat. I think so. You love a cat? Love a cat story. You love a cat story? Yeah. It is quite funny. Have you seen the clip? I don't want to see the clip. Thanks. <laughs> Ducking hell to disappear from Apple autocorrect. Apple has said it will no longer automatically change one of the most common swearies to ducking. I didn't know they did. I didn't know that's why it came up as that. Not that I've ever written it. Uh, did you? I just thought I, I did. Yeah. I just thought I'd t- I thought I was clumsy fingering. I didn't realise that they. Did you yeah, know they, they, did. they were censoring you, Christopher. I didn't know that. Eminence drops used by dates on milk in favour of the sniff test. How is this going to work? See, you, we, that point you made is very, very are we good. Allowed to walk into Eminence. Because they're all sealed, aren't they? Yeah. So even the, the card, you, just, you take the screw, the screw is sealed, that clicks, yeah. and then you've got the ring pull yeah. thing, which often comes off, breaks, and, you've, yeah. bre- and you have to get a knife Because out sometimes it. you'll go and you'll get a Design milk and it will say... I don't know, that quality control. What? It will say, use by tomorrow, and you'll think, well, that's fine, because I, I, I need to use it today. But sometimes you'll be going, I'm just going to get an emergency one for the back of the fridge. You want to go and get one that will last for oh, four or five days. I mean, we could read it out the rest of the story, but that would take the fun out of the, the suggestive nature of it. Widower wins £396,000 with postcode lottery ticket his wife bought before she died. This is a bittersweet story. A widower won the largest share of £3.2 million people's postcode lottery prize with a ticket his wife had bought before she passed away. Ex-Royal Marine, Alan. Good morning, Alan. Alan Meisen netted almost four hundred grand thanks to his late partner, Diana, who set up the winning ticket before she passed away on her birthday in July 2020, age 73. Um, the blind father of 177 ex- exclaimed... Flipping heck, it's a miracle as he received a jackpot prize. So we were talking yesterday about jackpot reactions. Flipping mm. heck, it'll do it, won't it? Yeah, you take that. Ladies and germs, boys and girls, it's time to introduce you to David Eagleman. David Eagleman, he looks like he's auditioning for the first series of Friends. He looks <laughs> like he's 24, 25. He's a massively accomplished Super fun, super handsome, super cool, super fit neuroscientist. And he's really annoying. And he stars on the most recent episode of Tim Ferriss's podcast, The Tim Ferriss Show. And you have to listen to it. If you've never heard a podcast before and you never want to hear another one, just listen to this one. It 
is mind-meltingly good. He talks about so many different things. He talks about this wristband that he and his company have created, which is now available on the open market, and it can fill in gaps in your senses, depending on what his company program into it, what you want, what you need, your hearing, your smell. It's it, because it can send the things that normally your ears would receive through the skin in your arm up to your brain. Um, your 86 billion neurons will get together and figure out what's missing and they'll just tell your ears, don't tell anybody we told you this, but that's the top F you're missing. Things like that. It's just so ridiculously clever. He has currently programmed his for a bit of fun with the infrared sense. So he can go around and he's got an infrared superpower. It's like Iron Man. He's like Iron Man. He doesn't need the movies. He doesn't need the pictures. He also has a production company. He's written many, many books. He's written a new kid's book, which is currently out on, on the market. This guy is off the charts clever. And he's now going to tell us why we dream. So f there's been many theories about why we dream and about what dreams mean. This doesn't decry any of them really, but this the, he's figured out why we dream and it's it's jaw-dropping. And by the way, stay tuned for more after this. I think that my student and I have solved why we dream at night. And I can tell you if you're interested. In <laughs> of course. Yeah. No, no thanks. <laughs> yeah, we're in a rush here. Yeah, please, please go ahead. <laughs> Which is, it has to do with brain plasticity. So the brain is always reconfiguring itself. It's a very dynamic system. So some colleagues of mine at Harvard back in, I think, 2007, did this experiment where they put people in a fMRI, the brain scanner, and they blindfolded them tightly. And they were doing things like, you know, when you're exposed to sound or touch, what is that, you know, what's happening in the brain? And what they found is that in 60 minutes, the visual system started responding to touch and to sound. And that was really unexpected because we know that if you go blind, your visual system will get taken over. But no one would have ever dreamt that you'd start seeing the first signs of takeover in 60 minutes. And so that got my student and I to start thinking about something right away. And we realized that dreaming has to do with the rotation of the planet. And this is because the planet rotates into darkness. So we spend half our time in the dark. Obviously, I'm not talking about electricity blessed times, but historical evolutionary times. What this means is you can still hear and smell and taste and touch in the dark, but you can't see in the dark. And that puts the visual system at a disadvantage. It's like you have been blindfolded in a sense. And so what we realized is the visual system has to fight back to keep its territory all during the night. And so that's what dreaming is about. Every 90 minutes, you've got these very specialized circuits that blast activity just into the visual cortex. That's all that happens in dreaming is it's going just to primary visual cortex, all this random activity. And it's just to keep it defended against takeover from its neighbors. I mean, come Whoa. on. <laughs> come Hello. On. How good is he? David Eagleman, you've got to listen to this podcast. You've got 90 minutes of your life. That's all I'm asking for. 90 minutes of your life. Listen to the Tim Ferriss Show, episode 5674. Uh, David Eagleman on Dreaming. David Eagleman on everything. Every three minutes he drops a bomb like that. Uh, reaction response, please, first of all, to the Why We Dream clip. Well, first of all, how good is he? But also... How good are we? And when I say we, I mean me and you, Rachel, and you, Chris, and every single person. How amazing is our 
human body that we have been blessed with yep. to be able to do that to have that just just to have that just hardwired into us that we do that we are so so lucky to be just alive really that makes that that clip makes me <laughs> grateful to be alive yeah. genuinely rachel <laughs> i think for once i might be lost for words good good no no good no no i know what you mean that's what i meant to say i didn't mean good i don't mean good at all ever so um somebody asked him when he said this once in one of his lectures so what about blind people then why did they dream and he says and you'll know this if you're blind well they do dream um but they dream their anxiety is somebody's moved the furniture around in the living room because of course they they live by touch and and hearing because they don't have visuals so their anxiety will be they'll dream about their living room um a dog has just a bit a monster's just come in and they can hear the monster and they can smell the monster and somebody's moved out around their furniture so they can't escape the monster so it's just a different kind of dream so you'll dream usually in your your most useful sense that's available to you at the time it's incredible so then he starts talking about other stuff so he's he talks about when he was a child and he was 11 and he had a he, he had an experience which was life-threatening and he remembered from when he was 11 and not a neuroscientist but a neuroscientist in the making he remembered that time seemed to slow down all right so coming up now ladies and gentlemen boys and girls how to live longer today all right so he has this experience when he was 11 and he thinks now he's now he knows all this other stuff and he's got these laboratories and these research um, teams available to him. He says, why don't I go and find out? Is it true that life, uh, that time slows down when you're in danger? Is that a thing? So what he does is he gets some people to volunteer to be thrown off a 150 foot scaffolding into a safety net. And then he measures their perception of time to see if it speeds up. Because if your perception of time speeds up, your recollection of time slows down. It seems like time is longer. Does nature give us more time to evade and escape threatening situations? Answer, no. So what's going on instead? The point is, if you're laying down richer memories, you won't necessarily live longer, but you will make it seem as though you've lived longer. Because when you're asking what just happened or how long has it been, you've got more data, more footage to draw on. And of course, we all know this feeling when you go on some super exciting trip on the weekend and you come back and you're back on a Monday, you think, oh my gosh, it's been forever since it was Friday. There's so many things that happened. But if you just have a normal weekend, you think, oh my gosh, it's Monday. It was just Friday. There's nothing to write down. And so you don't feel that there was much duration that happened there. So this is why I think one of the most important things in life is about seeking novelty and always putting yourself in new situations such that you're laying down dense memories. Last thing I'll say on this is when you get to the end of a childhood summer, it seems that the summer lasted forever and it's because everything is new. So you're writing stuff down in your memory. But when you're older, you've seen it all before, and you get to the end of a summer and you think, wow, I can't believe it's over already. I don't really remember it at all. It seems as though the summer didn't last long. And that's how you get a fuller day and a fuller life. It's amazing. And the reason we think those moments in time just before something dreadful might or might not happen take longer is because 
all our senses are heightened and we lay down more memories. So when we recollect what happened, it seems longer because we remember more about it and it takes us longer to tell it to other mm. people. And therefore we equate that to how long it took to happen. But it's not the case. <laughs> I mean, it's the best. It's the best. I don't think it's any better than this. And if it does, I really don't yeah. want it at all. Yeah. Um, and if you actually the the, the future exam the future version of of what he's talking about there is sometimes when we think things are going to be boring and tedious it's because we've done them before so if you project that forward you think things are going to be boring and tedious and they probably are because you don't need to figure out the detail in them because they're automatic so what you need to do again do things differently or again do things that you have done before with more attention to find more detail within the story of them, which will make time pass by quicker. So when you have a, a summer full of fun, when you're younger or even as you're older, if you do, if you, if you do more different things, you will, it will seem to pass quicker and you'll remember it as being fuller. And that's the secret to living longer without actually Feel it because it's not about what is, it's about what we feel life is, mm. and that's it's great, isn't it? That's why you come back on Monday and everybody's talking to each other about all this stuff that happened. But it's two days versus five because it's Saturday and Sunday versus Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Barely say a word to each other Tuesday morning, <laughs> Wednesday morning. Look at the texts we get on the show on the show on Monday morning and also on Friday. And why is that? So on Monday morning, we are recollecting the fullness and the detail of the weekend. And on Friday, we're throwing forward to the fullness and the detail of the weekend. You have to listen to this podcast. It's very good. It's the best. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Right, here we go. Best intro ever, please, Vassos, if you don't mind. Our next guest has had such an illustrious and long career that her This Is Your Life was in 1977 <laughs> and 46 years later she's still going strong and being brilliant her Little latest did they book know. old rage is out now in paperback so please welcome a dame more potent than tequila it's oh. sheila hancock oh what an intro that's oh, wonderful what a guest sheila <laughs> hancock how are you i'm fine i'm absolutely fine i can't believe that did they really do my this is your life and I'm the only person or one of the few people that have done two Desert Island discs as well. I want to be asked again so that I break the record with three. That's interesting because, you know, obviously you change the records, don't you? Literally you change the yeah, record. Yeah, uh, eight yeah. Eight choices. Um, what, did, what did you learn from your first Desert Island disc that you applied to your second Desert Island disc? But, you know, I honestly can't remember. My life changes constantly and it's changed again, so it would be a very different list now. I mean, life's like that, isn't it? Well, you like music. My, I, I'm a classical music buff. I'm I afraid know. I shouldn't be talking to you at all. But <laughs> I don't know. Anything. I'm glad you are. Thank you. I honestly don't know anything about pop music. I do know Lily 
Alan. Alan. Yeah. I, I did recognise that, but on the whole, I'm pretty ignorant. I can't believe you are in your 10th decade, Sheila. I can't believe it either, Chris, quite honestly. You I look really amazing. You came in here, you skipped in here, your skin is amazing, your eyes are really bright, your oh. posture's almost perfect. No, it's not. Well, it seems it. Well, I, I, I put on an act. I, if you'd have seen me first thing this morning before I got up and everything, then you'd see a 90-year-old woman. Is that from the special bed? Well, the special bed. Your special bed you talk uh, about in the book. Oh, yes. and yeah, Yes, it is. It's the tell us about, bed. Tell people about the bed. Well, it's when, I, when John and I fell in love and he had a flat in Kensington and uh, he bought... A brass bed, a beautiful, beautiful four-poster bed to celebrate, which was great fun. And it had belonged to Ivan Novello. Yes, of course. Who was a gay, beautiful man, yeah. so it had a history. And I'm still in it, and <laughs> John, bless him, died in it, so I hope I will eventually die in it. You talk about, I mean, you do talk about planning for the future yeah. um, when you're not here. Limited. Uh, and you talk about, you know, um, uh, lightening everything and sorting everything out. What's going to happen to that bed? Because that bed means so much to you. Well, actually, the family will grab it back because it, I took it away from a house that they were all living in. Right. So there'll be the, my actually one of my grandsons absolutely loves it. So I think it'll go to him. Your book is fantastic. The only regret I have about your book is that I've now read it, so I won't have it as a beach read because I would love to have taken this book on holiday with me. Oh, bless you! It's so be, I mean, you, I'm guessing you love writing because it's so beautifully written. I do. Once I get down to it, yeah. do you know what I mean? If I start first thing in the morning writing, then it's a great day. But if I don't start, I, then I do lots of other things. Yeah. But I. I do enjoy writing. I do. And now I've got to the age where I quite honestly couldn't do a run in the theatre. I couldn't do eight shows a week anymore. Partly because I've got limited time left and I don't want to waste it. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? interesting. Going every night to the theatre. And also you are 90. I know, I know. I I have to keep saying. Funnily enough, when you turn 90, people do start treating you like an old lady. (laughs) Literally overnight. People were offering not, to see Not 80 the... then? No, 80. <laughs> they didn't notice. They just ignored it, as did I. Right. But suddenly at 90, and I find, if I'm not careful, that I start doddering. Do you know what I mean? Being a doddering old yeah, lady. Yeah, yeah. I have to remind myself that I feel all right. You, t- you, un- you have to undodder your day. Undodder my day. So, exactly. Sheila Hancock, this book, listen, if you're going to buy a book, you know me, I only tell you the truth on the show because otherwise there's no point in anything. If you're going to buy one book this year, you, you will not get a better, a better companion than this. Sheila Hancock, Old Rage. And you can only really talk about old rage when you are older. Um, Sheila's amazing book starts off with a letter to her on behalf of the Queen and Prince Philip, not from the Queen and Prince Philip. No. Just speak to that a moment for, for Well, I, I, I was flabbergasted. I, I had already had a CBE, and it's always a bit of an embarrassment because I am a lefty. Do you know what I mean? And you sort of, and I believe in total equality. You're being, a Republican. Well, no, I'm not really. You see, if you, I remember, I'm a wartime kid, and the queen, the king, and the queen then, which was the queen's mother, um, were terribly important to us. And little Princess Elizabeth used to send us messages when we were down the air raid shelters or evacuated or whatever. So they are part of my life. 
and I am reluctant to let them go. I absolutely see all the arguments, but you see, I love all the ritual. Yeah, yeah. I, I enjoyed the coronation. Yeah, it went on a bit, but I mean, I did. <laughs> I did actually. Well, you're from the theatre. I love all the silliness <laughs> yeah. of the ritual. You touch the... upon the fact you might be a Republican intellectually, um, from a heart point of view. You, you're definitely a monarchist, and it, well, it is very important. My mum was in the war. You know, my mum's no longer with us, but she would have been 96 now, same age as the Queen and Margaret Thatcher. So I the well, same. I don't know about that. No, but they all, you played Margaret Thatcher, by the way, haven't you? I have played it in... in, in Interesting. Um, More conflict. Well, that was... I didn't play her properly. I, I just did her voice. Um, I can't remember. Sorry, anyway, but let, go back to the letter... Sorry, my fault for interrupting. Go back to the letter with which the book starts. Oh, yeah, so I got this letter saying yeah. that they were recommending me to be a dame for a DBE or something. And I thought... This is so embarrassing because there are going to be loads of people saying, what are they giving her that for? And <laughs> what shall I do? Should I, should I refuse it? And you can't refuse it because, it, A, it would be ungracious. I mean, it's awfully nice of them to have thought of me. But also, it would make a big issue of it and it doesn't matter enough for me. To, 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 to say, no, I'm not going to accept that, I'm going to turn it down. I always remember the Beatles. Do you remember the Beatles sending back their OBEs? Uh -huh. And you thought, I can't imagine that the King and Queen were very upset about that. But So it didn't mean a great deal to me, but I was embarrassed by it, I have to say. But then cut to the, it, the lockdown and all that business happened, so I couldn't have the ceremony when I got the prize. It was a year later, and it happened to be my grandson's 18th birthday, or one of them, and we went to Windsor Castle, and it was fabulous. <laughs> I so enjoyed all of it. I enjoyed the ritual. I enjoyed the uniforms and the feathers and the sequins and everything. And I just loved the palace. It's the most beautiful place in the world. And I was completely overwhelmed by it. Really clever people, in my experience, um, have fantastically wise theories about life. Mm. But what makes them really clever is they also wear them very lightly on their sleeve and with humour. So people who take what they think as clever as their ideas might be, seriously for me, are nowhere near as clever as people who also laugh in equal measure. And that's you, Sheila Hancock. Well, that's very sweet of you to say so, but I honestly wouldn't class myself as clever. I really, I wish I were wise. I, you know, oh, that's so the other awful thing. There's so much wisdom in this no, book. No, no, but when you're, when you're my age, people expect you to have the answer to everything, and honestly, I don't. In fact, to be perfectly honest, I don't think I've ever been so confused as I am now. There's so much happening so quickly with AI and all those amazing... Climate change and wars and and I just don't know which way to turn. But the wisdom therein is not pretending to know. That in itself, what you've just said is wise. Well, I suppose so. But I, I, I have a lot of experience, I suppose, but I forget about it. And then the awful <laughs> thing about writing books is that people often say, like you're probably going to say to me, oh, oh, it's wonderful that you think such and such. And I say... Did I really write that? <laughs> well, I don't think that anymore. Because yeah. it needs only one person to convince me of another argument. Yeah. And I'll take it on board. Well, you'll take it on board, but you won't necessarily subscribe to it, which again is very wise. Um, you, you talk about yourself um, in, in conflicting terms, consciously conflicting terms. Another thing you say about yourself is that you're an aggressive 
pacifist. Yeah. I like that. Tell me more about that. Well, I am. I'm a Quaker, which means I am a pacifist. And I don't believe in war. Um, I, I think it doesn't solve anything. But unfortunately, when you get to something like the Ukrainian situation, I have no answer to that, except that we should have been there sooner. Um, but I, 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 I will stand up aggressively for what I think is right, which I don't like doing now because, you know, you can be cancelled. I mean, it would be pointless cancelling me because life <laughs> will cancel me shortly. Do you know what I mean? I'll be off. Right. So it would be a waste of a cancel, really, yeah. to do it to me. But I, I, I just feel that we've got to stand up and be counted. I mean, so many people of my age are saying, oh, I don't watch the news anymore, I can't face it, it's all so awful. And I would love to say that, but I've always participated. My dad always taught me that it was up to me to change the world. I remember him saying that at the end of the war. And he showed me pictures of Belson and he said, this must never happen again yeah. and it's down to you. And I think that's what's led me through the whole of my life, that it is everybody's responsibility to change the world, hopefully for the better. And so with that, you talk... The book is mostly about the last 10 years. There are hopping off points to the past, to, to, to the uh, more distant past as well, but it's mostly about the last 10 years, yeah. the last decade, and so much has happened in this decade. Or is that always the same? It's just that we remember the last decade most. I wonder, that's quite interesting. But there have been some seismic things going on. The Queen passed away, of course. Then you had Brexit. Then you had COVID. And it's all in your book. I mean, could you have imagined a, a more frenetic... Ninth decade. No, and when they, when they asked me to write a book, I wrote a book called The Two of Us about John and I, and there's quite a lot about addiction and death and all sorts of things. And people have found it useful. I still get letters from people saying it's helped them. And my publisher said, why don't you do a book about old age? Because you, you're very good at it <laughs> and you can spread the word. Well, after that, we had COVID, we had Brexit, which made me insane. My One of my daughters got a grade three cancer. I had, I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. Life suddenly was awful and chaotic. So it turned into a book of looking for lovely things. And out of COVID and all sorts of things, I hope you'll find in the book, I did find also, I suddenly was aware of nature. I suddenly heard blackbirds singing, things that I've never done in my life. And I, and I think that's happened to a lot of people, which is distressing me because we are ready for change. Like when we came out of the war, where everybody had been through the most appalling conflict, out of it came the welfare state, out of it came free education, all sorts of what the national health. Total revolution because people were determined that the world could change. And I think that could happen now if we have only the right leaders to lead us into a better way. You were saying earlier, weren't you, about what you were saying about being quiet with advertising and all that sort of thing. People have a they don't want to work in the way that they did in the past. They don't want to go in a crowded tube. They've actually found another way. Yeah. They want to be with their families occasionally. And I think the world is ready for new values, not necessarily totally to do with profit. Let's go back to um, a couple of parallels there. So let's go back to the end of World War Two, and then the Brexit vote, because you talk very heart, in a very heartfelt manner, very sensitively and very sensibly, I think, about 
the the you remember the disharmony of a disunited Europe, mm. you know, which was horrible. Couldn't mm. have been more horrible. Mm. And then you talk about your um, frustration and consternation with us wanting to vote that away after it was so hard to achieve. And all this is achieved with, as far as peace and everything else is concerned. And I, it got me thinking, what do I know? As I'm reading your book, I'm thinking, but wasn't the Brexit vote swayed by older voters wanting to leave, which is the opposite of what Sheila's saying and probably, probably the opposite of what my mum would have said. So what happened there? Where was that disconnect, do you think? I don't know. I think sometimes when you're old, you don't want change. Right. Like, I know a lot of my friends are like that. They want contentment. They want to rest. They don't want to be fighting battles. And I suppose I'm not like that. And what worried me about the Brexit thing, and I didn't realise until I was on a television programme the night before Brexit happened, and everybody was talking about the financial attitude and all that, and I suddenly remembered that the hatred... The war was full of hatred. I hated the Germans. My first husband was an air crew during the war. And God knows, I mean, we're talking about dam busting now, but the, the destruction that we wrought on Germany, the Germans must have hated us. We had Japanese, we had the atom bomb, the Japanese must have hated. There was so much hatred around. And it seemed that to try and unite Europe was a tiny gesture in the right direction. I, I really believe that all the problems we have now, like climate change and immigration and all those things, can only be solved by the world getting together. You can't build a wall, ignore it, and keep people out and hope that it'll go away, because it won't. It's going to happen. And we've got to talk to people and other people and unite and solve these huge problems. And um, one of the best ways of doing that is... Obviously, communication, storytelling, the business you're in, the business I'm in sometimes, um, not as profoundly as you. But also laughter is so important, isn't it? Yes. You know, you can achieve so much with laughter because it frees somebody of their opinion momentarily. They can go back to it if they like, but, it, you know, if you can crack a smile, you release an energy and it, it just changes things. So, you know, if you want to change people, not that any of us should, should sort of say that that's our right, you might want to... If you want to change, let's bring it back to ourselves. If you want to change yourself, you can try and make different decisions. But if they go against your true nature, that's going to be harder to sustain if achieve at all in the first place. But if you change your energy, that will automatically change your decision making. So, it's, so you're talking about a collective changing of our energy and our mindset and our spirit that will then reap more um, healthier fruit, if you like. I suppose it is. Yeah, I suppose it, it. Yes, it is to do with spirit. It is to do with energy. It's to do with de determination, and it's to do with that old cliche love. I mean, it's caring about. I mean, seeing what's happening now in Ukraine, one can't help but care about both sides. Yeah, totally. Hundred. You know, the Russians are being recruited 100%. to do these dreadful things, and. You, you, that's what we've got to start doing. And yeah, yeah. I worry that our media and our government whip up hatred, try to make divisions. We have to have an enemy. When we've got... Exactly. And and there's nothing more... There's a vivid example of it happening now with the This Morning thing. Hatred in the air. Everybody is being spiteful and mean. Not and, everybody. 
Uh, well, no, not no, but the, you yeah. feel it. You feel it because there's this whole thing about, you know, high noise, low signal, and it should be high signal, low noise. And it, we live in a noise environment. We do. But we I do. think people, I think eventually you become deaf to things that a sound you hear all the time. So maybe that will sort of hopefully run out of its own road. It's listening to one another as well. People don't listen, do they? I don't, you see. I get on the high horse. <laughs> of course you do. Your I book don't is know. full I... of listening. No, seriously, I don't. If, I, if I'm on a, a, a roll, yeah. I don't listen to what the other person's saying. And when I go away, I think, oh, they had a Can point. I just say when you're on a roll, nobody's saying anything. We're all listening. <laughs> um, get some great texts about you already, as I, as I knew we would. Not many people in their 80s become a new fan of stand-up comedy. <laughs> oh, I, I love it. Tell, I us, lo tell me about that phase that you're still going through. I just love it. I, take, I, I share it with my grandchildren. We go to the Leicester Square Theatre, which has stand-up. And it started with Bridget Crosby and, and her husband, Lee Stewart. Stuart, Lee Stewart. Stuart. I never know Stuart whether he's Stuart Lee or yeah. Lee Stewart. And I just... I mean, the wonderful thing about it is that they can say things that you can't say on telly. You only see it in stand-up, where rage is unleashed and in a funny way. I mean, I cry with laughter at these... And the bravery of these people standing up alone for two oh, hours. Crazy, eh? I, I, I just... And I, I went up to Edinburgh and saw lots of stand-up there, and I admire it so much. And I've often thought I'd like to have a go myself, but I, I wouldn't dare. The fear... The fear that they must feel when they... I mean, it's bad enough with an actor when you've got a head full of lines that you've learned. Written by a genius. But, but exactly. Yeah. But you go on with not knowing what's going to happen, except, of course, they do. Yeah. I mean, they are, that's what they're so clever at, that yeah. their act is planned, yeah. but they make it sound as though they've only said it It's a murder mystery, time. isn't it? That's but I love the anger that they oh, yeah. whip up in an it's audience. Great. It's I great. love it. The story you tell of the lady who stage-dived is hilarious. Oh, I know! Um, <laughs> tell us about some of your favourite gay friends. Oh, what, what do you mean? Well-known ones? No, no, just uh, you, you have friends in the book, you, you go and spend time with them. I do adore my gay friends. I, I have to say I do, but the death of Paul broke my heart, Paul O'Grady, because... He was a dear friend and they just are so caring and loving and I wrote a, a, a novel, not very good, I have to say, a novel about basically a relationship between a, a, a woman and a gay man because it's it's a very profound relationship that you can have with a gay man because they're very sympathetic to all your silly design problems. I mean, that's such a cliche, and I'm now talking in cliches, but I, I still think they're very good at do it yourself. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Sandy Toxic always claims that she's very good at do it yourself. I, could, I one day couldn't... I was trying to make a floor white, and I couldn't make it work at all, and I told Sandy, and she came round with a bucket of paint and was on her hands and knees doing it. So... Yeah, and there, there's a sympathy and a softness and they love theatre. A lot of gay men are great fans of theatre and gay women. So I have every reason to like them. And I'd, I'm I'm awfully sick of the gender situation because it's utterly, utterly irrelevant to me what gender people are. It really is. What about the um, what about your, your gay friends who had that huge estate that was visited by the fantasist? Oh, that God. story is an extraordinary yeah, story. That was really when I read that, I was like, I had to read it again. 
I know it's absolutely true too. The, 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 this dear friend of mine, he's he's moved now. He sold it, but but he he had this huge estate and it was being advertised. And he said, "Would I come?" Because there was somebody coming round to see it. And this woman arrived in a big car with a Gucci handbag and really lovely. And she looked around, and then during the course of a conversation, we were sitting by the pool talking about it, and she said. Uh, she was moving from Hong Kong, and I said, "Why is that?" And she said that her daughter had been killed in an accident, and she was going to bring up his her son, and she was coming back to England to bring up this son. And I said, "Well, is your husband coming over?" He said, "No, he doesn't like the idea, so I'm never going to see him again." And this extraordinary story, and I really liked her. I'm mean, usually quite good in judging a character, but I thought I want her to live in this house, which was a place that I loved as well. Anyway, she sat down and we all cried and hugged one another and she said, this is perfect, I can see him climbing the trees and we'll have to put a fence around the, the swimming pool. And well, It was all planned and we drank a lot of champagne and it was lovely and she went away and we never heard from her again. And the estate agent couldn't trace her. It was a false name, it was a false story. And then my my partner, my friend's partner, look, managed to trace her to a hotel in Torquay and discovered that there was a daughter who'd been in a road accident. But it was... And, and I've never got to the bottom of it. Yeah. And I so want to know the backstory. And you say, don't you, as an actress, you're so intrigued about your character's backstory. What the heck was hers? Why did she do it? Was she just wanting to come into a luxurious house for a bit. Was she planning a robbery and we gave her such was a welcome? Was she a super fan of yours as well, you thought about Well, she had, the, she had a book about me. Yeah. She obviously... And I thought she was reading it. She had it in the car. Yeah. And she said, oh, I've, what a coincidence, I've been reading your book. So I thought, well, that's proof. But then we discovered that there'd been an article in the Daily Mail about the house being sold, which it said it's often visited by stars, including Sheila Hancock. So this con woman had obviously thought, just in case she's there, I'll take a copy of her book. It was brilliant. So she could have been an amazing actress had she... But why did she do I it, know, Chris? I know, I why know. Did, what, what was the motive? Is, is she just living another life? Is her life so dreadful that she goes around inventing characters or... or I, could, I just couldn't work it out. There's now it's the strangest folk, Sheila. I long, <laughs> I long for her to turn up again. I right, mean... house sales, right? Yeah. Your beloved house in France. Oh, don't, it's, so gone. The, it's gone. I know, I know, and you, you'd been there forever. You and John bought it together? Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you remember the first time you saw this house? Yes, it, okay. was, it was amazing. How, how did you come across this house and how did you well, buy it? Well, I went there, I was doing an art weekend, which I didn't participate in because on the first day we had to draw a staircase and mine was so dreadful, I said, look, I can't do this I'm just gonna I'll just stay here and watch you all and this poor artist said oh no please do try I said no no I I I, I, I can't draw a staircase I'm not going to be here but so I stayed and had the food and everything and during the course of it I got very friendly with the people that owned the house and not the mother ran the course and uh John, uh, Ellie Jane, was my eldest daughter, was doing a, a television on the other side of the Luberon Mountains and she phoned and she said, you've got to get Dad over here, it is so wonderful. And I think John was doing the Sweeney at the time and I phoned him and said, look, it is so beautiful here, darling, come over for the weekend. And he came over and he said, I've got to have it, I've got, I've got to be here. 
So we looked at some houses and we asked this man to look around for some houses and he came up with about eight and we walked around. And there was this ruin with chickens running around and he said, this is it. I said, what do you mean, this is it? <laughs> but we've no, we, don't, we don't live in France, we don't know anything, it's full of chickens, it's, it's falling down. It's full of down. French people, it's he full said, of French chickens. <laughs> French people. I said, well, and he said, I've got to have it. And now once John said that, you, you you had to do it. Yep. You had to do it, and it was the best thing. But that was thirty years ago. Right. So then, uh, obviously, you couldn't go to it in COVID, and then you did, and then you 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 saw literally saw the writing on the wall, didn't you? As far as the house yes, was I concerned. went back for a visit after COVID. I hadn't been out for over a year, and there's a bit bumpy old track to get down there in the car, and I found myself nervous of doing that, and. Then there's a bath, the shower. You have to climb in the bath, you know. And I thought, this is kind of dangerous because it's miles from anywhere. If I fall, I'd already had a fall in London. And I thought, it's going to be... Of course, the firemen come if you have a fall. Um, if you want an ambulance, you call for a fire. Yeah. No, Which no, one? but if you have, if you want an ambulance, it's usually a fire, fire, fire people that come right. in France, Got the it. paramedics. And they wouldn't have been able to get down the track. And, you know, just eventually I had to be real and I thought, I've got to get rid of it. And it has broken my heart. It, it, it was finally sold last week. And really? I am in mourning now. Aww. Yeah, I really am. I, because that was my European life. I am a European. Yeah. And I, I lived there as much as I did in England. So now I'm having to think, this is a new stage. It's all right. It's a challenge. I know. I it's know. a challenge. I've got to start. I'm I'm visiting England more now. I'm going to museums and things. And you are um, you are barge capable. I am. I am narrowboat capable. Yep. Narrowboat, which is more than Giles is. I mean, it was a nightmare that that program because Giles it always insisted on taking over, and he always bumped into things. <laughs> I mean, he, well, he just, barges, he just went straight to things. He, every bridge that we went by. And people with lovely, newly painted barges going by proudly waving, yeah. he bashed into them. Yeah. It was a nightmare, but no it was a lovely thing to do. We're almost out of time. That's half an hour. It's one of the fastest half an hours of my life. Um, can you just tell us that lovely story about... You have, you have a, a theory about um, really successful, whatever that means, actors, male actors and male actresses, in as much as, you know, great, great men... Actors have a, a lot, a bit of a lot more than their fair share of feminine in them, and vice versa for for women. That was actually something said by a great. We used to have really great critics, and there was one called Ken Tynan mm -hmm. who wrote amazingly well, and he had this theory that there was always a bit of the male in successful women, and the woman in successful men, and a lot of obviously actors were out and out gay, but. If you think of people like Olivier and Gielgud and, you know, the great actors of the past... And you talk about David Tennant, don't David you? Tennant, absolutely. The they, yeah. they have a softness, a, a, yeah. a shyness. Roger Allen, who's the butchest actor in the business, I mean, I've worked with him a lot, but when he smiles, yeah. there's a feminine a softness, softness yeah, about yeah, him. Yeah. Do you and know what I mean? Accessibility. And I think... And, the, and with a lot of women... There's a, like... Uh, steel, steel. Yes. Maxine Peake, who's one of the best actresses yeah, yeah, we've yeah. got, she has a resolve about yeah, her that yeah. would be called masculine. It's nonsense because yeah. it's not. But th they are sort of ambivalent sexually very often. How, how would you talk about yourself in those terms and John in those terms? 
Oh, John was awfully butch, wasn't he? There were, nobody was very he wasn't, soft. No, was he? That's no, the whole he point. Wasn't. He, he wasn't. He was a softie underneath. It's not even softness. It's just a quality of... It's a wholeness, isn't it? Yes, it is. A human wholeness. It is. Not being, not saying, I'm a man or yeah, I'm yeah. a woman. It's yeah. actually being anything or any <sighs> anywhere. It's great to talk to you. Ah, oh, bless you. This book is awesome. Is there anything you like to just say to people while you're on the radio? Sorry? Is there anything you'd like to say to, to the audience? Oh, no. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 I don't know who they are. And they're probably sitting saying, where is this bloody one? No, they're get not. Her off. We've got, Let's we, get the music we've on. We've all the text sake. here. So during the interview, before the interview, saw Dame Sheila's speech as Chancellor of the University of Portsmouth at my son's graduation. 2020, 2010 or thereabouts, to be honest. can't remember exactly what she said, but I remember how she made me feel. Sometimes it's not what you say, it's how you say it. I felt so uplifted, as did everyone else. Thanks, Sheila, from Steve. What about that? It's not oh, well, that you... reminds me of one thing that I could say to the audience that I used to say in my, in my graduation speech when I was Chancellor of that university. I used to make the kids recognise that they were happy. I said, you are happy. Look, your parents and your loved ones are proud of you. You've achieved something amazing. I want you to say out loud, I am happy now. And I want you to say that every time in your life that you feel happy. Because I think what happens with a lot of us... I, have you ever looked at a photo of yourself, Chris, in the past and thought, you look happy, but know that you were actually very worried at that yeah, time? Of course. Yeah, yeah. I've got a picture of John and I on a beach in Brighton having a picnic. We loved picnics. And I look at that photo and it looks wonderful, but I know that <laughs> I would have been thinking... I better do some shopping. I haven't got anything for the supper. Is Ellie Jane going to be at home? I mean, you know, and I, I just think we should. Ch it's the cherish the moment thing, but it's just to say to yourself and cherish every single moment when it's good. Yeah, we park our happiness and then look for 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 problems, potential yeah. problems and pitfalls. Where we should do the opposite. Absolutely, and we should really enjoy and. Take in moments. Give yourself time and space. That's what I'm trying to do. I've rushed through my life. I've hardly noticed my life. <laughs> it's gone. It's, it's been so full. <laughs> Kelly in Cumbria. I had the pleasure of seeing Dame Sheila in March at the London Palladium with a lot of other wonderful oh. dames and Jars Branrith, one of the best afternoons ever. We've talked about this before. For people who don't know, what happened that day? Well... Oh, well, I'd, I'd had pneumonia. I'd been, been, been... Is that what you mean? No, no. Why, was, why did that coming together occur? I can't Whose remember. birthday was it? Oh, it was Giles. Yeah. He was 75. And he invited all his favourite dames. That's right. It was an amazing <laughs> do, actually. birthday. It was a it? fabulous audience <laughs> a and everybody day. was being very outrageous. It was lovely. Karen in Portland, wow, what an inspiration for people all of, of all generations of beliefs. Dame Sheila Hancock could teach the world a thing or two. I just bought her book and I can't wait to read it. Of course, Dame Judy Dench, also a Quaker. Yes, that's uh, right. Give us 30 seconds on uh, why we should maybe uh, have a look at Quakerism. Well, I, I, I couldn't possibly do that because it's too complicated. But what I suggest you do is to look out if there's a Quaker meeting house in your area and go Sunday, 11 o'clock and, and just talk to people and sit there. We, we worship in silence. So you'd have at least an hour 
of lovely quietness. And I love it because when there's not a disagreement, but when something's got to be decided in the world of Quakers, there isn't. they never take a vote. You have to talk about it until you all agree. It does mean that it's a long <laughs> while agreeing. It took us two years to choose the, pre- the chairs for our meeting house. It's, but, it, but it's a marvellous thing. Yes, and if you have a quarrel or if you have an argument in a meeting, then have a minute's silence. And it's amazing how you come out you. of that solving everything. I agree. Sheila, Sheila Hancock, the Sunday Times bestseller. And if you read it, you'll know why. Old rage. That's it from us. Thank you, Sheila. Goodbye. Thank you. So long. Don't leave you so long next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.